Profiles in Cinemania, John Carpenter. If you didn't know better, you might think John Carpenter was one of the Hollywood studio elite. After all, he is an auteur from that late 60s, early 70s crop of auteurs who emerged from the film school at the University of Southern California. Just like his peers, Lucas, Spielberg, Coppola, and Zemeckis, Carpenter was part of the movement that went on to fundamentally reshape popular culture. You'd be dead wrong, though, because John Carpenter ain't no elite. Though the marks he left on cinema history were indelible, John Carpenter has remained an industry outsider, rarely afforded the respect shown his fellow USC alumni. What has kept John Carpenter from being elevated to studio aristocracy? Perhaps it's jealousy. After all, he earned an Oscar right after dropping out of film school. Perhaps it's spite. Carpenter's work has a strong anti-elitist bent that cultivates suspicion of the ruling class. Perhaps populism is what has locked him out of the studios. After all, there's nothing the upper crust hates more than a class traitor. John Carpenter movies are seemingly lowbrow. They're bold, gritty, iron hard with a brutal simplicity. His protagonists are all blue collar, truckers, migrant laborers, babysitters, insurance investigators. They're relatable everyman with everyday concerns who manage to thrive despite being thrust into situations outside their control or comprehension. He makes sure we laugh mostly with these people, not at them. More importantly though, Carpenter shows the working class with depth and in that depth, he conceals stories with highbrow cores, ones that ask deep philosophical questions of their viewers. Jack Burton thinks the big thoughts, baby. Whatever the reason, John Carpenter fought for respect from the studios and even worked within that system at times, but never truly won acceptance. He often struggled to get greenlit for the kind of budgets his peers got, but it didn't matter. He showed us he could work wonders with nothing but duct tape, twine, and Kurt Russell's jawline. Likewise, his films struggled for marquee space against the saccharine blockbusters that dominated cinemas in the 80s and 90s. It was on home video, however, where Carpenter's films truly found their second lives. It was there, in the theater of the common man, they could finally compete on a level footing. This perennial lack of respect may have led to Carpenter's apparent fixation with recognition. You don't usually see other directors stamping their names as a possessive on the title of every film that they make. It seems almost insecure. Not for John Carpenter. His title seemed to say, to hell with that. You're going to know right from the get-go. This ain't no sappy, sentimental Spielberg slop or Coppola opera. It's John Carpenter's picture. Says so right on the label. We're here to kick ass and chew bubblegum, and we're all out of bubblegum. John Carpenter's debut as a director was in 1974 with Dark Star, a moody existential science fiction piece who started in film school and then finished after dropping out. This film's cult popularity transcended its ultra-low budget, in part because Carpenter was first to show the world a compelling, used-future aesthetic that made spaceflight accessible to the working class. An aesthetic which, of course, was immediately ripped off by the guys with studio cachet. George Lucas and Ridley Scott, I'm looking at you. Indeed, Silent Running, Star Wars, and Red Dwarf all owe creative debts to Dark Star. 
However, it was 1979's Alien, in particular, that parasitized large portions of Dark Star's creative DNA in order to mutate into a true apex predator of sci-fi franchises. His 1978 film, Halloween, is also remarkable because with it, not only did Carpenter establish the genre of slasher horror, he established the entire modern independent horror movie ecosystem. Along the way, he also created the current model for independent filmmaking and distribution. Halloween sidestepped studio gatekeepers, financers, and distributors, and still managed to be so wildly profitable that the industry is still trying to replicate Carpenter's formula more than 40 years later. That was something the studios had no choice but to respect. Imitation being the sincerest form of respect, of course, imitate him, they did. Friday the 13th may have been the most shameless ripoff, but you can name any horror franchise in the past 40 years, and in one way or another, that's not dog, it's imitation. You know, maybe they just hate him because they ain't him. A lot of directors like to say they can do it all, but Carpenter actually can. Not only can he write, direct, edit, and produce, he's also a licensed commercial pilot that flies the helicopters in his pictures. What's more, he's a musician who composes and performs the soundtracks for all his movies. John don't need no symphony orchestra. He uses synthesizers, the common man's orchestra. His music is like his films, cheap, brutal, simplistic, but compelling with hidden depth. It's also like his films that he was an early adopter of an emerging genre, and his works laid stylistic foundations that inspired decades worth of imitators. Ultimately, this DIY approach meant that John Carpenter never needed the fat budgets awarded to his peers in the first place. Like all good craftsmen, John Carpenter works with the tools and skills that he has at hand never lets his detractors get to him. He just shines it on and keeps hammering away. This has been another Profile in Cinemania. This episode was written, mixed, and mastered by Ethan Ireland and performed by Zachariah Call Me Snake Burks. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Profiles in Cinemania is a product of the Cinemania Society, LLC. Yeah, you know, I don't know who the hell any of those people are. He was over 70. Back in the 80s, if you wanted Synthwave, you had three choices. Ben Gellis, Tangerine Dream, and John fucking Carpenter, and that was it. Now goddamn Synthwave artists are dime a dozen on the YouTube, the whatchamacallit, and the fucking TikTok. And who the hell is Carl Casey and why the fuck should I care?